All right, well, we've got about four chapters left tonight. We have a nice, short chapter, chapter 29 verses, but very impactful. But before we go there, we're going to go on a detour. I want you to go to Psalm 46. So you can keep your finger there in Joshua chapter 20. We'll go to Psalm 46. And while you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Lord, we pray this evening that we would find refuge in you, that we would find rest and safety and peace in you. And we pray that you would lead us in these cities of refuge in understanding that you are our refuge. And I pray, Lord, that your will would be done in us and that we would be used to show people the way so that they could find the very same refuge that we find. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Psalm 46, just a couple verses. In verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And we're going to stop there. I highly encourage you to read Psalm 46. I think it's a great memory verse uh, for people. But when you read verse 1, it says, God is our refuge. When they're using these words and they're using these illustrations in the Scripture, they don't come in a vacuum. They don't come from nowhere. There's a point, there's a purpose, and there's an illustration, and they're all woven together. In chapter 20 of the book of Joshua, we're going to be looking at the cities of refuge in a little more detail. But I want us to, right off the bat, notice a couple things. God is our refuge. So when we're looking at the cities of refuge, we want to be looking at illustrations in those scriptures to know God and our relationship with Him more. And then second, what does it say? And strength. When we think of refuge or retreat or running away, we think of weakness. But the Bible tells us He is our refuge and strength. And we're going to see that here in these nine verses of chapter 20. And therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried away into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. That's just a word from the Lord for somebody right there. So you got, it feels like your whole world's falling apart. It feels like those mountains are being cast into the sea. It seems like it's just troubled. Everything that you know, everything that's stable and normal has just been tossed to and fro. Don't worry. God is our refuge and strength. So let's go to Joshua chapter 20. Like I said, there's nine verses, so we get to spend some time through them. Let's just look at the first three together. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, this is from Numbers 35. If you remember a long time ago in Numbers, Moses was given this word from the Lord, that the cities of refuge is where the Levites were going to be living and staying. They would have some land around it to have some basic sustenance, but their food, their income was going to come in serving the Lord at the altar. And they were going to follow the Lord all the days of their life, have no lands. So the Levites have no lands, but they do have these cities of refuge. 
I also want you to see something. And that is, it has been a while, years, since God told them to do this, and now is the time to actually do that. Now, God's ways are perfect. He's above our ways, beyond our finding out. He he's infinitely has all wisdom, all knowledge. He's all-powerful. So understand all that when I say this. The thing that annoys me the most about the Lord, I, I know what I'm saying here, I know, is that He will put an impression on my heart or your heart for something that He wants to do, and you get excited for it, and you want to do it right now, and He says, no, nah, no. Nah. No, you get to, we're going to wait, and we're going to do it later. We see this through Scripture a lot. The Lord promised in the promised land while they were in the 40 years in the desert. He promised to people He would not leave them or forsake them until they spent centuries in Egypt. We see King David, he yearned to build the temple. And the Lord said, no, your son's going to do it, but you can do some of the parts. In the New Testament, Paul wanted to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbade him, resisted him. And he had to go to the Macedonians instead, which was the Lord's ways are perfect. His plans are perfect. But many times when the Lord puts these things on our heart, it's for a future work. And you need to be patient. He has a different timeline than we do. I don't want to get stuck here too much, but it just, like I said, it irritates me. So I have to, to, to have some therapy with you guys here. I remember... The day that I gave my life to the Lord and I was hanging out with Pastor Mark, I remember when we were walking, it's the next street over, there's a little spa in his community pool. I was going to get baptized because uh, I just told you I have no patience. And he's like, well, you know, we have these beach passes, baptisms you can go do if you just want to wait till the summertime or we can, you know, get baptized. I'm like, wait, there's no waiting. I remember we were walking to the baptismal, my youth pastor was there. His son, Landon, who's been here a few times, Pastor Mark was there. We were walking, and I was just telling him how, you know, I need to get baptized. I was following the Lord, and he said something prophetic. He said, you know, I really feel like the Lord may be wanting to use you, and I said, I know He wants to use me, and I knew in that moment that I was called to be a teaching pastor. That's all I could ever think about it. Y'all, that was the first day. And I remember walking my dog every day when I got home, walking my dog, and I would pray because I'd have to walk him when I got home because he would chew on the door frames if I didn't walk him. And I prayed, Lord, I pray that I could be a full-time teach, teaching pastor. Lord, I really pray that I could be a full And just praying that, praying that, praying that, praying that every day, every day, every day, every day. And that was a, like a divine frustration that had to get played out. But that was the Lord's plan. He wanted to dig that well deep. He wanted to have those roots go deep. He wanted to firmly implant that. And I think it was like 10 years later when we were in the car to come here to start it. And that was nine years ago. And we were just starting. So if the Lord's putting things on your heart, realize they take time. Because sometimes we read the Bible, we read things like this, and we just think that it's just happening right away. This had always been a part of the plan. But all those steps had to be taken. Now, there are no prisons in Israel at this time. So they have a completely different legal code there. Putting somebody on a 30-year or a lifetime timeout was just not a thing they did. So they had payments. You would make restoration. And we saw that the Bible, the Old Testament, has multiple rules and laws in the Old Testament that if you destroyed something, you hurt something, you're 
you killed your neighbor's animal or you caused some damage, you were going to make restoration plus some, usually about 25%. Or there would be corporal punishment. Corporal punishment means you're going to be physically beaten. You're going to experience pain, but then that's it. And then finally, there's the death penalty, where you will be put to death for your sins. So either you personally are going to be put to death by a person, or communally they would have to put people to death. And so it's completely different. We're going to talk about similarities and differences as we go on. But if you remember back in Numbers, and it mentions it here, excuse me, in verse 3 it says it, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there. I find it fascinating that we are being told in modern times that ancient people were naive and dumb and superstitious, but now we've attained. You know, now we have the ultimate wisdom. We're so smart. Listen, they already have intricate legal codes. They already know the difference between premeditation and first degree, second degree, third degree, manslaughter. They already have different rules for that. We have digressed morally. That means we're backsliding. We're worse than ever. And just to keep the rabbit holes going. I was watching a video the other day, and it was, a, it was somebody who was mocking our former culture. In the days of prohibition, it showed a police officer who was measuring a woman's leg from the knee to the top at the beach because of indecent exposure. And of course, they were mocking that. And I thought, how are they mocking that? We have fallen so far as a culture that now that's seen as a joke when really they were protecting other people and decency and modesty and self-control were enforced. Enforced monogamy. You're going to be married to one person for the rest of your life. You're going to keep that family unit together no matter what. And on and on and on. There was a time when we thought alcohol was so dangerous in this country and destroyed so many homes and had so many accidents and so many causes of abuse and laws being broken that we wrote it in the Constitution. Am I got that right, the Constitution? We wrote an amendment. Thank you. We wrote an amendment outlawing alcohol in the entire country. And now we've, we've gone the complete opposite way. All I'm pointing out here They had it right the first time. We are getting worse, not better. We're morally bankrupt. For example, to kill a person, murder, manslaughter, to cause the death of another human being, regardless of their race, religion, creed, nationality, culture, skin color, background. The Bible said this all the way in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. doesn't say Christian man, Jewish man, Muslim man, black man, white man. doesn't talk about their sins. doesn't talk about what kind of person they are. If you're killing a human being in cold blood, you are killing a person that is made in the image of God. And there are ramifications for that. The whole Bible is based on that man has fallen and is a sinner and that there is evil in the very, very best of us and that we need to be corrected and that we need to be controlled and that because we have a sinful nature in things like government, we need to have checks and balances because 
power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We see, we're, we're based on these fundamental principles of the Bible, but the world today has flipped them around. Every man is good. We're all good. It's only outside influences that make us bad, and so they're trying to throw it all upside down. Oh, well, I know this person killed another person, but it's because of their skin color made them do it. Oh, it's their cultural background that made them do it. It's their poverty. It's their social class that made them do it. Therefore, we're just going to let them off. They're going to get off easy. No punishment. You know, the punishment is what's actually causing the problem. It's backwards. It's backwards. How did we, how did we get into this state? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13 that the authority of the sword, the authority of the sword has been given to the state for what? To keep things decently and in order, to keep structure. Because man needs structure. We need correction. We need to have that fear, that godly fear that if I do something bad, not only will I get caught, I will be punished for the good of everyone. So much so that in the Romans 13, it says that those that are in government or in office, police officers, are servants of God. Wow, that can't be, don't you know? about these bad cops or these corrupt cops or this situation, the corrupt judicial system? Let's talk about context. When was Romans 13 written? In the Roman Empire, where there were pagan emperors who called themselves God, and that's when that was written. Because mankind is sinful. Sinful. So the way they dealt with this in Israel, in that government is, hey, we know that there's not always going to be a premeditated murder. That means you've decided I'm going to ambush this person and eliminate them because I want to steal their five rubles, their five dollars, their five golden coins, whatever it is. Maybe you got into a fist fight because you were angry with each other because he stepped on your toe. But he fell backwards on accident and hit his head on a rock. Does he get the death sentence? Is he going to be stoned to death? No, he can run to a city of refuge. And when I say run to a city of refuge, I don't want you to think like a Sunday school Bible story, you know, where everything's all clean and nice. And No, I want you to think like if you've ever watched Cops, the television show. You know, when, the, when they get that criminal, they find him in his bedroom and he jumps out the window. And what does he do? He's like jumping over fences. He's trying to get away. Other squad cars are trying to get him. You see, but at that time, there's no police force. There's no sheriffs. There's no uh, guy whose sole role it is to find these people. So who would do it? It's called the Goel, the blood redeemer. Uh, More technically speaking, the avenger of blood. So if my brother was the one that died, slipped and died, it is my role in the family, the Goel, the the avenger of the blood, to go find that person and to take care of business. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, to have avenge, to avenge the death of my family member. So I'm going after him. But he has one hope, you guessed it, that he can make it to the city of refuge. Now, this isn't black and white. This isn't a situation where it's always going to be exactly the same. If I wanted to show mercy and my family, but I also wanted to keep the honor of my family, I may say, 
um, hey, John, I, I realize what's going on. I'm going to give you a two days head start. And that amount of time, he's going to make it to a city of refuge. And then, you know, you're not going to really go after him. But if it's my wife, if it's my kids, in my flesh, what am I going to do? Am I going to turn the other cheek? Would you? No. No, I'm going to do everything I can to find you. Because guess what? All of us, all human beings, wherever there's people, there's what? People problems. And I need a Savior. I need a new nature. So the law is trying to hold back that sinful nature, that carnality. But it also knows there's limits. And so that man has one hope. I have to run to the city of refuge. That also means his life is over as he knows it. He's not going back to his family. He's not going back to his field. He's not going to go back to work. He's not posting on social media. He has to leave everything he has right there in the field and run for his life. The only thing he gets is to keep his life, and he can write letters. You can come and visit him in the Levitical city. And so you see, it's not always clear. I'll also say this, because we have to be careful. If you are a conservative, Bible-based, fundamentalist Christian like I am, and you say, well, you know, I believe in corporal punishment. Oh, yes, we need to be fast-forwarding these murderers into the death chamber. This is ridiculous. The Bible says the authority of the sword. Right, you trust the same government that told us to shut the churches down with people's lives? With such clear black and white? Every day we see man on death row, 40 years, cleared by DNA evidence. Do not try. Wherever there's people, there's people problems. I don't trust the state with those things, not, not without checks and balances like we talked about. That's why the founding fathers, biblically based, they understood we need to have those checks and balances because we're all sinners. The person who's on death row, the police officer. The police officer has been placed there by God to keep order. The law and the legal system are there ordained by God. But the police officer is one bad move, one mistake, one terrible decision away from being in the prison themselves. And so when it comes from a biblical perspective, we want to be wise. We don't want to just be speaking these mantras. Oh, yeah, death row. I'm 100% for death row. Oh, I'm 100% not for death row. Put him in the prison. Get him out of the prisons. You need to have a biblical perspective. It's not always clear. What is clear, though, is that man is a sinner. He needs to be born again and that we all have a sin nature. Because what did we learn last Sunday? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Well, what does it say here in verse 4? It says, And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Notice he doesn't just run there. It's like, oh, I got it, safe. You guys remember when you played tag? You know, kids, this is when we used to go outside and play things. We had these games called tag. And we would go out there. You had freeze tag. You had hide and go seek. You had all kinds of games of tag. And so there was always a safe spot, though. So if you could run there and you could put your hand on it, oh, nope, you didn't get me. I'm safe. Well, some people have this image when you go to a city of refuge. If I just get there, I'm good. No, you ain't. It's time for a sit down. You're going to go to court, but you're going to go to Old Testament court. In Old Testament court, when you get to the city gates, all the older men would be sitting there. Your city mayor, 
your courts, your wise guys, your businessmen. See, they're waiting for the trade caravans to come. They're waiting for the goods to be sold. They're also waiting for news to come. The news is going to come through the gates. They're also going to make decisions like shutting the gate or, or opening the gates. That's about the safety and security and also about trade. So these are important decisions. <coughs> so what would happen is when you would get there, oh, gosh, what is that guy? He's running for his life. Oh, man, we got another one. And they'd get together, and now they want to hear the evidence. You see, you could be a cold-blooded murderer, and you just run for the city of refuge. Maybe they'll take me. Remember, I said wherever there's people, there's people problems. There's still sinners. It's like, this is not black and white. So they want to hear the news. They want to hear it, and it's, okay, we're going to make a decision. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I think he's clear. I, I know that situation. I know that story. And then they'll decide. If not, if not, they're going to take him. They're going to arrest him, and then they're going to hand him over. What does that mean? Certain death. That's a big decision. That's very important. I also like how they make this decision, and it just happens. You see, today in America, I said some positive things, you know, about how we have uh, multiple branches, we have checks and balances. How many of you trust to go to court? If you're in business... You've heard what I've always heard. Never, ever, ever go to court. Always settle out of court. No matter what happens, settle out of court because before you go to that judge, you have no idea what's going to happen. You see, but at this time, we go down to the, back to the basic principle of standing before a judge. You go before a wise person who is level-headed and neutral to make a decision. And it can be that simple. It can be that simple. And that's how it used to be in the United States of America, especially early on. We didn't have the layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy. In fact, if you want to get into your history nerd, there was a time early in America where lawyers were banned from courtrooms. Lawyers were banned from courtrooms. Like we just think it's synonymous. No, it didn't always used to be that way. So we, we, we're not talking about just bureaucracy and the state taking over and, you know, you go to an appeals court and you go to another court and you got to pay another lawyer and then that lawyer talks to their lawyers and then they want you to settle out of court and they want you to go to arbitration and then arbitration doesn't work so now you go back to court. And then they got to decide is it civil court or is it penal court, judicial court, and all that other, it's, it's just bureaucracy, just layers of complexity. Sit in front of a person and make a decision. But there's nothing new under the sun. And what does it say in the New Testament for Christians? Why are you going to court against each other? Go before the elders of the church and make a decision and settle it. But I know what you know. We're all a bunch of sinners, aren't we? You're not going to just listen to what some guy in the church says unless it goes your way. Then you're going to call the other person a heathen because they're not submitting. See, what it comes down to is the individual. It comes down to, are we willing to submit one to another in godly fear? Are we willing to submit to the Word of God? Are we willing to submit to those that are in authority? Are you as a Christian, and you get pulled over, and that cop has had a bad day, and he's saying he's going to search your vehicle, and he's starting to interrogate you, and you know he's, he's trying to get you. Are you going to submit? I hope so. Or are you going to pull out your iPhone and be one of those people that are just going to argue with the police like you're somehow going to win? 
No. Are we going to submit to those that are in authority? Some Christians won't even submit to the church, much less those that are around them. But it's supposed to be a mark of the believer. It's supposed to be a mark of the believer that we have the strength, the fortitude to turn the other cheek. Fascinating. See, when we strip it all down, this is the whole point of where where we're going with this. When we strip it all down, are we submitted to God or not as a Christian? Are you submitted to God or not? Or do you just want what's best for you? Are you going to submit to the elders at the gate? Are you going to submit to the word of God? Are you going to submit to to the city of refuge? Are you going to trust their judgment? Are you going to trust the law? Are you going to trust the word of God? Or are you just going to go your own way? Whatever works for you is what you're going to do. When it works for you, in your opinion, you're going to take it. When it doesn't work for you, in your opinion, you're not going to take it. One last thing before we go to the next verse is, you may never go to court. You may never have this issue. You may never have experienced racism or injustice. You may have never been on the wrong side of the law. You may have avoided conflict your entire life. But one day you will stand before God, who is the ultimate wise guy. He has all knowledge. He knows all things. He knows your every thought. He's got it recorded, and he's never, ever forgotten a single thing you've ever thought in your entire life. And he will judge you. Unless Jesus Christ is your attorney. Unless not only is he your attorney, but he has already taken the punishment of the guilty verdict. And it is completed. It is wiped away. He's, he's more than an advocate. The Bible says he's our advocate. He also has the, not only is he not guilty, Lord, not only is she not guilty, here is the receipt for the punishment paid in full, completed. It is done. Verse 5. Then, if the avenger of the blood, excuse me, the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. So we talk about premeditation. But this is something that's not always thought about when it comes to the city of refuge. So you got your, just, you got your long lecture about the law, and about the intention, about sinfulness. You're, you were found innocent. Yes, you are guilty of manslaughter. You're not going home. You're going to stay in this city forever. And in this verse is often forgotten, that verse 5, when the manslayer comes. So let's take carnal Mike. Let's say... Let's say my family, my wife, my kid. You think some gate's going to stop me? You think some town is going to stop me from getting at this person? I'm going to try and sneak in there. I might bring an army with me. I might bring a posse with me to get this person. But no, it says here, they will, defend, they will turn the manslayer away. See, the city of refuge is not just an escape. It's a fortress of protection that nothing can come to get him. So he's been found innocent, or at least he's been found guilty, but not of the first-degree murder. He can escape to the city of refuge. He's in there, and now he is protected. This is so important for us as Christians because the Lord is our refuge and strength. And so when we flee to him, It's not like we just made it to a rest station on a marathon. No, you have made it to the fortress. You're a sinner. You have fallen. 
you have betrayed him at one time or another. You've committed adultery in your heart or in your mind. You've committed murder in your heart or in your mind. You've lied. You've stolen. You've denied him. You're guilty. And he says, you can come into the refuge. And then he also protects you from the enemy. He protects you from the things of this world. Spiritually, you're untouchable. And so the man slayer can sleep well that night. He can have so many things on his mind, so many worries. I'm separated from my family. I'm separated from my, my kids. I'm separated from my business. What's going to happen to my land? He can have so many worries on his heart, but he is not worried about his life because he's protected in the city of refuge. You see, when the Bible tells us that we can sleep well, we can have the joy of the Lord as our strength, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect all the time. That's what we think when we watch the Christian movies. That's not real. You still have the cares of this world, but faithful are the problems for today, the Lord says. Tomorrow will handle itself. But what we can rest on the pillow knowing is that whether you're sick or hurting or sad or you got business on your mind, or you're frustrated, or the economy, you have relationship issues, you don't have to worry about your soul. It is kept firmly. It is in a city of refuge. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We can lean on Him. He not only comforts us and takes us in, He protects us. Who can take, who can pluck us from the Father's hand? No one. No one ever. And yet, we also see here that the law works when it's applied scripturally. Because we're being told today that the law doesn't work, that we're better than the law, people are better than the law. We're morally bankrupt. As a country, we're morally bankrupt. We abort children, we destroy families, we'd rather protect marijuana and alcohol and substance abuse and different chemicals that are destroying families, destroying lives. We're, we are making decisions. What is on our television screens, on the Internet, is filth. Uh, we allow pornography. We allow these things that are on the Internet. We put portals into everyone's homes. We teach gender confusion and any anti-Christian thing in the public schools with public money. And we are morally bankrupt. And yet they accuse us, the Christian, the believer, that we're backwards. We don't understand innuendo. We don't know difficult. We're just black and white Puritans that don't understand anything. Yet when you read the scripture, even about the cities of refuge, you see the nuance. You, you see the understanding. You see that people are broken. And yet you do see that there's hope and refuge in the gospel message. You see all those things being stacked up, and yet we start to believe what the world's telling us, we need a refuge. We need a place that we can go to, that we can rest and be protected, that we can become wise, that we can have sound judgment, and that place is the church of God. That place is when we are gathered together, reading and praying and worshiping and seeking the Lord. This is a refuge from the world where we can get back our sanity, that we can realize, no, they are crazy and we are not, because God said so, and it's written in His book. And yet, technologically, we are so advanced, and yet, morally, 
we have decayed to a point that hasn't been seen in millennia. Now, we have seen it worse than this. Don't, don't think that it's just decayed. When was it worse than this? You're thinking, never. How is that possible? In the very time that the gospel was, was sent out, pagan worship and prostitution on every corner, they were killing Christians for sport and entertainment in the Colosseum in the middle of town. Ah, oh, man, we're running out of games. Let's rally up some more Christians, burn their synagogues down and bring them in here. Oh, it's been worse. Like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. But we have a place of refuge. Oh, well, they're going to outlaw the church. They're going to they're gonna touch their churches down. That didn't work well then either. 33 to 400 A.D. It doesn't work. You can't stop us. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. Whether the mountains are being brought down, whether the storms are clear, whether the earth is shaking, our whole foundations of our whole system, God forbid this whole country could fall apart. But God is our refuge and strength and our very present help in times of trouble. I have no fear. No fear because He is with me, because He is my refuge. Well, the manslayer, he's made it into the city. He's passed the court gate, right? He's already had his court date. He's been, yes, you're guilty of manslaughter, but not murder. You get to stay in here. The manslayers come, knocked on the door, let that guy out here. Then you know what he did. We found him innocent of murder. He's guilty of manslaughter. He's staying here. You can turn away. And now we have verse 6. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment And until the death of the one who is the high priest in those days, then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. So it's not forever. Excuse me. The death of the high priest, that's when it's over. Fortunately for them, the majority of the time, the appointed high priest is an older man to begin with. So it's not really a life sentence, um, but it could be days, could be months, could be years. We don't know. And then what? You let him go. He gets to go home to his family. Oh, it's just that simple. Yeah, but who's still out there? The Goel is still out there. So there has to be an honor code. No, if you go Goel, if you go now, after he's been freed from the city of refuge and the high priest is down, and you go and you kill him, you will be killed because you've broken the law. Oh, well, what's the big deal? Before that guy does and dies in Jerusalem, I'm totally allowed to do that. But, oh, some guy dies in Jerusalem, and now I'm the murderer. Don't you know what he did? Yes. Yes. There are arbitrary lines in our life between when something is a sin and when it is not a sin, when you are guilty or you're not guilty. When you're breaking God's law and you're keeping God's law. When you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, there is a line between when someone goes to heaven for all eternity or hell for all eternity. That line is Jesus Christ. He decides where the line is. Not man, not our politics, not our polls, not our discussion groups, not the Twitter not the social medias, nothing decides where that line is except for God himself. And God help us when this culture thinks that the culture itself decides where the line is. And that's what they're doing right now. In the book of Job, 
and God's dis- discussing this with Job. He says, who decides where the sea stops? Who decides when the day starts? Who decides where the stars are formed? God decides. He decides. Other than that, who, oh, we can have 37 genders. Yes, you can have 37 genders if you have decided to throw out all the laws that God has made for physics, life, science, creation. And so we have to understand that mentality. That's where they're at. They literally think they can decide arbitrarily based on feelings where that line is between 27 genders or three genders, between five partners or six partners. No, there's a line. And that line is decided by God himself. I'm just grateful he wrote a book explaining exactly where that line is. And it's the one that all of civilization, Western civilization, has been based off of for the last over 2,000 years. It seems to work. So, yes, one day that man could be a murderer, and then the next day, one day he's the honorable Goel, and then the next day he's the murderer under the same judgment. And that line was decided by God to be when the high priest dies. We're going to come to why that is here in a little bit. But first, let's read verses 7 through 9. How in the world I could be over on nine verses? Only me. On time, that is. Seven. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, and on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan, in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. So I was going to put another map, and I'm like, then they're going to want maps every time. Just understand that the cities of refuge are strategically placed on both sides both sides of the Jordan, on the north and in the south. They're about a day's journey in every direction from every tribe. You can get to these cities of refuge. What does that also mean? That means that the Levites are strategically placed within a day's journey all across of Israel. Now, the tabernacle, remember, is in Shiloh, is in the middle of Israel. Eventually, after the book of Judges, when David takes the city... It will be in Jerusalem when they bring the ark out. That's why when he's dancing before the ark and it comes to Jerusalem, that is a big biblical deal. We'll talk about that in five years when I get there. Now, this outline was so good, I couldn't even rehash it and try and make it my own. So straight out of Guzik's commentary, this is the point that I want to make about these cities of refuge and how it applies to us and why did God make these arbitrary lines the way they are? Why the high priest, for example? Well, one, both Jesus and the cities of refuge are within easy reach of a needy person. They are of no use unless someone could get to the place of refuge. You have to go to the Lord. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are open to all, not just to the Israelite. No one needs to fear that they would be turned away from their place of refuge in their time of need. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge became a place where the one in need can live. You don't have to come to the city of refuge in time of need just to look around. You could live there. 
Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are the only alternative for one in need. Without this specific protection, they will be destroyed. Also true. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge provide protection only within their boundaries. To go outside means death. With both Jesus and the cities of refuge, full freedom comes with the death of the high priest. What does that mean? Jesus, book of Hebrews, is our high priest. And when Jesus died, we were made free. That is why he chose that as the line. All the way back in Joshua chapter 20, he was pointing in all these things to his son. Now David makes another very clear distinction. There is one aspect And where the cities of refuge in Joshua chapter 20, and as a Christian, it does not work. You see, the cities of refuge would only take you if you're innocent. Jesus will take you if you're guilty. He'll take you if you're guilty or if you're innocent. You can find refuge in Him. Because He has paid the price for you. He took the punishment. You see, the Goel, the avenger of blood, was God Himself. And he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's why God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Maybe some of you younger ones haven't really had these times of trouble. We're talking about the time when your soul is crushed, your will to live is gone, when you feel the whole world is against you and oppress you, you feel like nothing's working out, you're worried about your health or your relationship or your family or your career or your finances, when you are crushed, persecuted, and you feel like you can't go on, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Remember that. You see, what I'm telling especially our young people here is because you're going to get in this position and you're, you're not going to... Us older people here, we're like, yep, yep, been there, been there, bought the t-shirt, got a couple of them. But imagine I'm telling you in the Old Testament, like, listen, if this ever happens to you, this is the way to the city of refuge. You need to run there. I don't care if it's the middle of the night. You can't see it. Memorize the path. Memorize the street lights. Know how to get there. If you don't get there, you will die. Listen, if you're younger here, I don't know, like my son's age... It's important to know to run to the Lord in those distresses. You're going to go to the world. They're going to tempt you with the bottle. The girls here, the young girls are going to tempt you with some boy. You know, all these things that are going to tempt you to be like, no, this is where your comfort is. That is not where your comfort is. That's where your destruction lies. Straight to the city of refuge. Look at us here. We're nodding our heads. We're like, yes, this is what we want to tell you. The, The question is, are you listening? And then third... Will you remember it when you get to that time? We can only pray. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this evening. We're going to spend the rest of this hour in prayer and just thank God for those situations that we might be in. You can run to Him right now. The gate is open. Lord Jesus, we thank You and we praise You. And we pray that You would be leading us this evening, that we'd be growing in You, being used by You. And we thank You, Lord, that this evening we find refuge. In Jesus' name.